Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. And whether you're joining us in person or through our live stream ministry, you kept your appointment today. You had an appointment with God and you kept that appointment. Leviticus chapter 23, we are continuing our series through Leviticus 23, looking at our worship of God. The first week, looking at the Sabbath, we saw that we worship a God who gives us rest. Last week, we looked at Passover. We worship a God of provision and protection. And today, we're going to look at the festival of unleavened bread, worshiping the God of more. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. I want to direct your attention before we go to Unleavened Bread again to the first two verses, though, of Leviticus 23, because this series on worship is all based upon God's appointed times for his people in the Old Testament. And what I'm doing is taking what God appointed for his people in the Old Testament and bringing it up to our day and age and applying it in some way to our Christian life. Obviously, these things are fulfilled in Christ and you and I are not obligated to follow these festivals and feasts, but they do have meaning for us and relevancy for us as you and I seek to follow the Lord, and especially in the area of worship. We learn about worship through studying these feasts. And so you'll notice in verses 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are the Lord's appointed times a fixed time to assemble for worship as God's people. He says you must proclaim them as holy assemblies. These are very sacred, special times for God and should be for us as well. My appointed times. Again, God's idea, not ours, God's agenda. He had a purpose for instituting these feasts or festivals into the lives of his people. And so today, I want to direct your attention up to verse 5, where we read in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is a Passover offering to the Lord, okay? We talked about that last week. Why I started there is because then notice verse 6. Then on the 15th day of the same month, will be the festival of unleavened bread to the Lord. In other words, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is an extension of Passover. Yes, they are distinct, okay? But they also are together. They, one comes right after the other. And notice, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day, there will be a holy assembly for you. You must not do any regular work. It's not quite to the extent of a Sabbath, but it is to be set aside. Then you must present a gift to the Lord for seven days, and the seventh day is a holy assembly. So you have a holy assembly at the beginning, you have a holy assembly at the end, and in between and including those holy assemblies, no one is to eat anything leavened in their house, and you are to get rid of all leaven in your house. You must not do any regular work. 
What does the Feast of Unleavened Bread say to us or speak to us about worship? Well, keep your finger there. We'll be probably coming back there at some point. But I want you to turn with me now to the book of Exodus, to Exodus chapter 12, beginning at verse 15. I want us to go back to where the Lord first instituted the Feast of Unleavened Bread and to read his instructions, because what we have in Leviticus 23 is sort of a, a, a brief summary of the feast, but it doesn't go into the detail that we have in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. Surely on the first day you must put away yeast from your houses because anyone who eats bread made with yeast from the first day to the seventh day will be cut off from Israel. Wow. That tells us how serious God takes this. They're saying if, if you aren't willing to participate and, and you're just willing to go ahead and eat yeast, you are going to be cut off from the nation of Israel. Also notice it's not just about not eating something with leaven in it. It's about getting it out of the house, verse 15. Why? Well, the implication is that if you have leaven in your house, you're probably going to eat the leaven. And you and I know that, right? Let's talk for a moment about things that maybe we struggle with as far as our diet. <laughs> There's always the principle that it's there, so I eat it. But if I don't bring it into the house in the first place, it's not so easily accessible, right? So it's, it's a help not to even have it in the house. Because if it's in the house, I know where it's at, even if I've hidden it. I know where my hiding places are, and I'll find it, you see. So God, understanding our human nature, says, you know what? Get rid of the temptation. Don't even have leaven in your house. Get it out for that whole week and cook nothing or bake nothing with leaven in it. Now, again, we'll talk about why this is important in just a moment. But then follow along with me through verse 20. On the first day, there will be a holy convocation. On the seventh day, there will be a holy convocation for you. Same thing as he said in Leviticus. You must do no work of any kind on them, only what every person will eat. That alone may be prepared for you. So you will keep the feast of unleavened bread, because on this very day I brought out your regiments or hosts out from the land of Egypt. Very interesting word he's using there. Almost a word for an army, regiments or hosts, because that's exactly what it was. It was God's people. We are an army in God's hands. It also speaks about the orderliness that they left Egypt. They didn't leave Egypt as one just chaotic group. There was an orderliness and, and a way to do it that showed God was in charge because God is a God of order. And so you must keep this day perpetually, the end of verse 17, as a lasting ordinance. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month, 
In the evening you will eat bread made without yeast until the 21st day of the month in the evening. For seven days yeast must not be found in your houses, for whoever eats what is made with yeast, that person will be cut off from the community of Israel, whether a foreigner or one born in the land. You will not eat anything made with yeast. In all the places where you live, you must eat bread made without yeast. Why? Why was this so important, and what does it teach us about worship? Well, the absence of leaven symbolized complete consecration and devotion to God. Leaven has always been a symbol of sin in the Bible, and getting rid of it was a way to show God, God, we mean business with you. We are all in with you. We are going to be consecrated and devoted to you. It also shows that there was a willingness to make a complete break from Egypt and wholeheartedly embrace what God had in store for them, the God of more. That's why part of this feast is for us to show God, God, we are ready to make a break. We are ready to leave Egypt or whatever else you want us to put in our rearview mirror behind, and we're not going to look back. We're not going to pine away. We're going to set our focus upon what you have up ahead of us. And we're not going to let Egypt or whatever else is in our life holding us back from what you have more for us up here to keep us from getting there. Now, that's what it was supposed to do. But you and I understand, if you know the story of the people of Israel, after God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, most of them never made that complete break with Egypt, right? And why we know that is because when they went out there and things didn't start to go the way they thought they should, they started to murmur, they started to gripe, they started to complain, they started to say things to Moses like, I wish we would have never left Egypt, we had it better in Egypt. In other words, they had been physically delivered, but their heart in many ways wasn't with God in following him to what he had more for them. Their heart was still back in the comfy, you know, even slavery. It's almost like but they were slaves, yeah, but just like us many times. The misery that we're living in, that, that's, we've got, actually gotten comfortable in that misery. And, and instead of following God out of that misery, you know, we're almost more, uh, more comfortable with, with where we're at because it's what we know than being willing by faith to follow God into the unknown, even that, see? But that's not what unleavened bread was supposed to be about. Unleavened bread was supposed to say, God, we're done with that. We're, we're ready to make a complete break and move on. So, so for you and I today, we need to look at ourselves and go, is, is there something in my past? Is there something that I'm still holding on to? Is there something that's either hanging on me like a weight or grab, has, has a grip on me that, that I've got to be willing by God's power 
to, to, to give up, to lay aside, to let go of, and make a complete break with that so that I can wholeheartedly embrace what God has for me over here. You see, that's part of it. But the other part is this. It's not only looking for a people who are ready to make a break, but a people who are ready to keep moving. Look at Exodus chapter 12 with me, but look at verse 11. Now, again, remember, because unleavened bread immediately followed Passover, though they are distinct, they also sort of are together. So many times when Moses or someone else was talking about Passover, they were also laying down principles for unleavened bread too. In fact, that's why God asked them to make their bread without leaven because they needed to be not only ready to make a break, they needed to be ready to move at a moment's notice. And you see, when you make something with leaven, you got to sort of let it rise and it takes more time, where if you make it without leaven, especially bread, it's more of a cracker that we're familiar with than it is this nice, you know, fluffy loaf of bread. And so it was the idea that I don't want you to, to make, take the time or to get caught up in making something with leaven, I want you to make it without leaven so that you can go when I tell you it's time to go. That's why I look at verse 11 of Exodus 12. He says, this is how you are to eat it, dressed to travel, ready to move, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in haste. Be ready to move quickly at a moment's notice. It is the Lord's Passover. Can I say that description of God's people in the book of Exodus should be a description of even you and I today as we live our Christian life? That every day we wake up, based upon that principle of unleavened bread, I am ready to move when God says move. I'm, I'm dressed to travel. If God says, this is what I want you to do today or this week or this month or this year, we are ready. Our, our sandals, if you will, are on our feet. Our staff is in our hand, and we're just sitting there every day. Saying, God, what do you have for me today? I'm ready to move at your impulse. I'm, I'm ready to, to go at the prompting of your spirit. I, I make myself available to you, God. There's nothing that's tying me to this or that. I'm ready to go. And, and folks, this doesn't have to just be a physical move. I don't want anyone to, to leave here or those of you that are watching by live stream to think I, I'm just literally talking about, well, that means I've got to physically be willing to move. A lot of times it's just making a, an adjustment, a slight tweak or something in, in my life, in my perspective, in the way I look at things, and it's being willing every day, not so much maybe that I have to physically move somewhere else or adopt a new job or a new position or something like that. It's just every day, every week, every month, every year that goes by saying, God, what do you have for me today? Instead of, I'm going to live my life the way I want to, and I'll check in with God 
every once in a while, and especially when things aren't going so well. That's those of us who have been delivered from our slavery to sin in Egypt, if you will, through the blood of Jesus Christ, but we're not really fully consecrated and devoted followers, you see. We're still in Egypt. And, and that's why also this feast of unleavened bread reminds us even as Christians that our salvation is not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning, just as it was for the children of Israel. And yet many Christians, it's like they get delivered from their sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's like, that's good. I'm good. I got my ticket to heaven. My sins are forgiven. I'm good. Now, the rest of my life, God, I'm living it my way, even though you delivered me. And God wanted to teach his people, you're not your own. You have been bought with a price. I'm the one that delivered you out of slavery. You're now my possession. You are set apart for me and my glory and my service. And therefore, you are to spend the rest of your life as a living sacrifice to God. That's what unleavened bread's all about. Our salvation and our deliverance from our Egypt isn't the end. It's just the beginning. God has a promised land for every last one of us. God has a promised land for our church. And there's so many Christians and so many community of believers, it's like all they care about is getting to the place of salvation and bringing people to salvation, but not ever getting us all to the destination that God has for us, which is his promised land. And just like the people in the Old Testament, many of them die without ever getting there. Why? Because they're never really fully consecrated and devoted to God. Their heart is on worldly things, on their Egypt. Egypt has more of a hold and pull on their life and heart than the things of God. God always wants us ready to move, ready to make a break, dressed to travel, sandals on our feet, staff in our hand. And, and in a sense, too, when he says you are to eat it in haste, it's to build into God's people that sense of urgency, that sense of urgency. Like every day that goes by that we're not on our way to where God has for us and that we're ready for more is a day that's wasted. It's a day we're back here rather than over here. And God's trying to get his people to understand. You realize life is short, right? You realize you have only so many years and months and, and days to, to live for me and, and to serve me and to bring me glory. On why are you still, why? and that's, you know, it's why it was so sad that this great host of people that God delivered out of Egypt ended up wandering and, and going in circles for 40 years until that whole generation died out. How tragic that was. And yet, that's how many Christians live their life. They just keep spinning. They, they just keep going around in circles, never really going forward with God. Because... 
There's never really been that moment in their life, like Paul says to the Romans, where I urge you, based upon the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's what unleavened bread's all about. Go back to Exodus chapter 6. Unleavened bread speaks about ready to make a break, ready to keep moving, ready for more. I love being the pastor of this church because I sense in most of you that part of the reason you're here is because you're ready for more. You're, you're not satisfied with what you've experienced of God up to this point in your life. You're not satisfied with, with your growth up to this point and what you've learned and, and what you've experienced. You want more of God, and that's part of the reason you're here. And that's the way it should be for God's people. That's why it's important to be part of a church that's never satisfied where we've come from, but that we keep going and pressing forward because God always has more for his people. And that's one of the great things about being a Christian is we never, like you can in the world, hit a ceiling. In the world, you and I can hit ceilings, if you will, and we can never sort of go past that. At least other people may prevent us from going back. God's always saying, you want more, more of me? You come get it. Because God is an infinite God, and we can never get all of God. We can never get to the bottom of God. So that's one of the things when people say, what are we going to do for all of eternity? We're going to just keep getting more and more and more of God. And even after 10 billion years, there will still be more of God to get because we'll never get to the bottom of God, Amen. you see. And that's what unleavened bread's all about. God, I want more. I want more of you. I want to experience you in a greater, in a deeper, in a more profound way. I'm not satisfied even as much progress as I've made since my Christian life and since I was delivered from sin and since I came out of my Egypt. And God, I've come here, but, but I'm not satisfied here. I, I want to continue up to the last breath of my life on this earth to keep getting more of you. So notice Exodus 6. Therefore, tell the Israelites, God said, I am the Lord. That's important. Yeah, you notice how many times in the Bible God said, tell my people I'm God. I'm the Lord. Because sometimes I think even God's people, oh, yeah, that's God. And notice what he says. I will bring you out from your enslavement to the Egyptians. I will rescue you from the hard labor they impose. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you to myself for a people, and I will be your God. Whoa, that alone will preach. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to redeem you. And then I love it. I'm going to take you to myself. I'm going to, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to pull you in. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from your enslavement to the Egyptians. But notice, notice, God doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, I'm just the God who brought you out. No, look at verse 8. I'm also the God who wants to bring you in, or I want to bring you to something more. 
I will bring you to the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. God is saying the same thing to his people today. I am the God who brought you out, and I'm the same God who wants to bring you into something else. I'm the God of more. I, I brought you out, so I could bring you in. I brought you out so I could bring you to something else. Are we ready for the more that God has for us? And again, make this very personal because he has a more for us as a church until he comes or until we all go to be with him. And he has more for each of us individually. He has not only a community possession for us to possess that he wants to give to us, we have a personal possession, if you will, that he wants to give to us. And he keeps saying, you keep following me, and you're just going to keep getting more and more and more. Are we ready for more? Are we ready to keep moving? The Christian life should never stagnate. The Christian life should never be, I'm just sitting and spinning. No, the Christian life should be, I just keep on going and making progress. Yes, we can never be perfect in this life, but we can always be making progress. We can always be more like Jesus every day, every month, every, every year that goes by than we were the year or the month or the day before. There's always more of God that you and I can embrace and wrap our arms around. And that's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is about, worshiping the God who always has more for his people. So turn with me, if you will, first to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in the New Testament for a little while. Philippians chapter 3. You're getting your fingers worked out here in these messages on worship out of Leviticus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. I want to share these verses with you this morning because in some way they all relate to the God who has more for us. And he not only has more for us now, but these verses begin to also get us to understand that he has more for us in eternity, too, and that that should always drive the way you and I live our life and, and should inspire and fuel and, and, and motivate us to be more consecrated and more devoted to the more that he has for us. First of all, Philippians 3.20, we're not only citizens of the earth, but God says, you're my citizens. You are citizens of heaven because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we also then await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the reasons why Paul is saying that, and if you go back and, and pick up everything that Paul said up to this point in the book of Philippians, he's saying, when you and I understand that we're not just citizens of earth, but that we are the citizens of God, we are citizens of heaven, that we should be more and more and more every day that goes by looking away from this world and watching for our Savior. In other words... For the one who's escaped slavery in Egypt, even in a figurative way, the earth and the world and everything that it offers to us 
should have less and less of an appeal. And what God has for us, the more that he has for us, and the more that is awaiting us, should captivate us and capture our hearts more and more, which is why the Bible says, Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but accumulate for yourself treasure in heaven. Paul said to the Colossians, set your heart on things above, not things on the earth. And can I tell you, even before the world changed this year for all of us, I found myself every day that went by having less and less of an appeal for what's down here and more and more for what God had. But I got to tell you, after this, this earth doesn't have much of an appeal at all, if anything. I mean, I'm like, Lord, I'll stay here as long as you want me to, as long as you have a purpose for my life. But if you want to take me home to glory, I'm okay with that too. And, and if you want to come for your people now and, and you want to rapture us out, of, I, I'm good with that, Lord, because this earth has no appeal for me anymore. Only what you have for me, God. Only what you have for me. That's being a citizen. Look, look at other passages. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 11. I love these verses. Speaking of the patriarchs, and I'm just going to pick it up in verse 13 of Hebrews 11. Speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of, of the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11:13, these all died in faith without receiving the things promised, but they saw them in the distance and welcomed them and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. By the way, very interestingly, the word stranger means uninvited guest. Think about that as a Christian. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're just a guest here. And as far as the world's concerned, we're an uninvited guest. If they had their druthers, all the Christians would be gone. Because we don't belong here, the Bible says. This is not our home. We should not be putting deep roots down on the earth because this world is under the influence of Satan. The devil is the god of this world. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world yet. So they were strangers. They were foreigners. The word foreigner means to make a brief stay somewhere. We're just, we're just here for a brief time. But God's got more for us. For verse 14, for those who speak in such a way, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland because this is not our home. In fact, if they had been thinking of the land they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Don't miss that. Same thing that God wanted to teach his people through the unleavened bread. I want you to be so devoted and consecrated to what I have for you up ahead that you make a complete break with your old life, that you let it behind you. And that's exactly what the patriarchs did. They never looked back. They just turned and followed God, and, and what was behind them, what was in their, they never looked back. Some of you, 
You need to just get on board with God and not look back. Don't let your past, good or bad, if it's bad and somehow it's this weight that you can't get, just accept the forgiveness of God over that or whatever it was in your past and move on with God. And if it's something that still has a grip on you that, 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 you know, you're in love with or giving more attention to than you are what God has for you, ask him to help you let go of that so that you can embrace what God has for you. Because whatever you got a hold of here that, that you grabbed that's it's earthly or worldly is not anything like what God wants to give you. This so reminds me of what Paul said to the Philippians when he says, I forget the things that are behind me and I'm reaching out for the things that are ahead. I love that. Again, that's, that's unleavened bread. I'm forgetting what's behind me and I'm reaching out, God, for everything you have for me in this life. Verse 16, as it is, they aspire to a better land that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Guess what? You and I are going to be in that city. And in that city, Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again and receiving you to myself so that where I am, there you may be too. More, more more. One other verse I'd like you to look at, and then we'll wrap this up this morning. First Peter. First Peter chapter 2. And verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners... Temporary residents staying only a brief time is what that word means. And exiles, ones who are passing through. Sojourners. I'm only here for a short stay. I'm on my way home. Keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. Even Peter says, this earth should have little or no appeal to you. You're, you're God's child. You're God's a citizen of heaven, you're just making a brief pit stop here. A very short time, you're on your way home. But while you and I are here for a brief time, God has more. And God wants his people to worship him because he always has more for us. There's always something in our life that you and I can look forward to. Hallelujah for that. Because in the world in which we live right now, the world gives me nothing to look forward to. Can I tell you? But every day I can wake up as a child of God with my heart full because of all that God has for me that I get to look forward to every day. Even if it's just as we sung about in our worship, Lord, nothing else but you. I just want more of you. That's enough for me, God. 
But God doesn't stop there. God says, I'll give you more of me if you want it, but I've also got more of other things too. I got more of other stuff for you. Are you ready? Are you ready to make a break? Are you ready to keep moving? Are you ready for more? God didn't bring us out of something to leave us there. God always brings us out of one thing so that he can bring us in to a new season and something else. And God never wants his people to just get to a place in our life where we just stop, where we stagnate, or where we just keep spinning. No, God wants us to always, as his people, figuratively have our sandals on, be dressed to travel, have our staff in our hand, and we are ready to go. Are you ready? I love what Paul said to the Romans in Romans 1.15. He says, I'm ready to come to Rome and preach the gospel because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Paul says, I'm ready. I love what Isaiah said after he saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah 6. He said, here I am, Lord. Send me. I'm ready, God. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for his people who are ready to make a break and let that behind and to keep on moving with him. He, he's, he's looking for a people who are ready for more. Are we as a church, are we ready for the more that God has for us? Are we as individuals, are we ready for the more that God has for us? Because God always always has more for his people. No matter how long we've been a Christian, and maybe even how devoted we have followed Jesus Christ up to this point, no matter how long we've served him or how much we've served, God always has more. And God never wants us to get to a place where we are satisfied with where we've come but to always be ready to keep moving with him. When you think, as a New Testament Christian, about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I want you to think about those principles. Because back in Leviticus 23, that word feast that is used there to describe the feast or festival of unleavened bread literally meant pilgrim feast or pilgrim festival. It was one of three of these feasts or festivals that God said, I want to instill in my people that you are pilgrims. You are sojourners. You're just here for a brief time. So get all that I have for you here, but always remember that I've got more. Are we ready to embrace the God of more. Would you stand with me? God, I pray today that unlike the children of Israel who never really made a complete break with Egypt, who was willing to let you deliver them, but never really ready and willing to embrace 
all that you had for them after that. God, I pray we would be different. I pray, God, that as a people and as individuals, we would always be ready and willing to make a break, always ready and willing to keep moving with you, and always ready and willing for the more that you have for us. Sandals on our feet, dressed to travel, staff in our hand. God, we are ready to go. May that be our heart's desire. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of worship to the Lord this morning called Waiting Here for You. And remember something. Waiting is not just sitting and passive and inactive. That word waiting is where we get our concept of you go out to eat and, and you are waited on by someone. And the concept of being a good waiter or waitress, if you will, is that you're always attentive. You, you're, you're ready to, to meet whatever need those folks have at my table. That's a good waiter or waitress. God says, I want to instill that same kind of waiting in my people. That maybe you don't have a complete clarity yet of where I want you to go or what I want you to do, but that readiness is in your heart. You're, you're attentive to me, you're listening to my voice, and you are ready to go at a moment's notice. All you just need to do is hear our Lord say, this is what I want. This is where I want you to go. This is who I want you to meet with. This is the service. This is the ministry. This is that. Lord, I'm, I'm ready, God. So as we sing this worship song to the Lord, may God, who knows our hearts and sees our hearts, see a heart that says, God, I'm ready to make that break finally. I'm ready to keep moving. I'm ready for more.